This episode of the MedSort Podcast is brought to you by Arena. Arena works with medical device manufacturers to help them bring their products to market quicker and more cost-effectively through their cloud product lifecycle management system. Arena's product lifecycle management system allows every participant throughout product development and commercialization to work together in a centralized system and effectively keep track of product designs, engineering changes, and associated product information to accelerate the design and delivery and ensure regulatory compliance of quality medical device products. You can find out more at arenasolutions.com. Welcome to this episode of the MedTalk Podcast, where we discuss the latest news and issues in life sciences. I'm Ian Bolland, Acting Group Editor of Life Sciences at Rapid News, and today I'm joined by Susan Wood from Vida Diagnostics. We talk about the spotlight that has been put upon respiratory disease since the pandemic, the challenges faced in respiratory clinical trials, and the crucial role that data can play when it comes to diagnosing lung disease. First of all, Susan, thank you very much for joining us on the MedTalk podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also a little bit about Vida? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, So first of all, thank you for having me. Um, Pleasure to talk to you today. Just, I I think from um, my background, my personal background and my, my kind of advancement into getting into Vida, I by my training, I was a, I'm a biomedical engineer, and I've always been very intrigued. And in the, in the path of my both my academic and my industrial development has been, you know, the incorporation of greater computation into medicine. And um, so that's part of being by a biomedical engineer. But I did my PhD at the Johns Hopkins Medical Institutions, and there I discovered the lung and all its complexity. And I really focused on using imaging, uh, primarily CT, certainly at the time, to measure the lung with great precision, both structurally and functionally, meaning that a change in lung structure leads to a a change in function. And you have, uh, with imaging, you have this great degree of precision in which you can measure and find disease, differentially diagnose disease, uh, guide therapeutics with imaging and measure therapeutic response at a, a level of precision far greater than what was available at the time and far greater that's largely being used um, now. So I think that's an opportunity for us. But, uh, that you know, that's kind of the, the background. I From the academy, I went directly into into um, industry, and I've you know going through a series of um, small clinically based entrepreneurial startups. Some of them have exited, and some of them have done well with their exits. But really, was the incorporation of uh, greater information and AI, and incorporation of, of, of those technologies into clinical workflows, clinical practice and clinical and drug discovery, for example. Okay, I mean, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, this, this Vida. Uh, is, am I right to call it a Vida tool because of the artificial intelligence used to it? Well, Vida is, um, we 
look and I think one of the 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 focuses that we have is is to we solve clinical problems and we use AI analytics whatever the tools are available to us but with the goal of that uh, of solving the the problem the clinical problem whether it be uh, efficiencies or greater quality in clinical care or in uh, uh, lung and respiratory research so we look at ourselves mostly as a clinical company, but using AI and intelligence to solve uh, clinical problems. All right. Uh, and uh, I think it's fair to say that over the past couple of years, we've uh, become more accustomed to, uh, uh, <laughs> to to respiratory disease because of the pandemic. And I think every time that someone coughs now, everyone thinks, is that, is that going to be COVID? But of course, with the, there's, there's also other things to consider. And there's COVID, there's asthma, there's COPD. Yeah. emphysema for example um but you uh, i was i was reading that mortality rates from respiratory disease were already on the rise before covid so what can you tell us about vida in terms of you know in terms of its position in the market prior to the pandemic yeah, and no, what kind of what what kind of interest is there in the space today that may have may have been as a result of covid yeah so uh, look i've been sort of banging the pulpit here from uh, for the fact that we're in a, a global crisis of the lung for, for many, many years. And you're absolutely right uh, that the mortality rates from lung disease are increasing. So in the, in the 30 years ending in 2019, 30 years prior to that, uh, mortality rates from respiratory disease have increased uh, 40%. And at the same time, those the clinical classes for other major causes of death, um, stroke, cardiac disease, cancer, have all decreased in mortality. Uh, so this has been a, a, a it's a global crisis that we that we have in lung disease. Respiratory medicine has, in comparison, had much uh, uh, fewer investment dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the major um, metrics for uh, the incidence, the prevalence, the mortality rate, the global economic burden, all of those metrics are going in the wrong direction. We're really faced with a global crisis of the lung and that predated COVID. COVID is, is among other things, given us, you know, the, those with underlying respiratory disease certainly tended to have poorer outcome from from COVID, so it's given us a, it's brought this this uh, issue of lung and respiratory disease to the fore, and it's given us more of a, I think, more of an awareness of the the lung and respiratory care. So, um, but prior or, or following, uh, I think, you know, COVID recovers, we have two hundred and fifty million patients that are. Um, that have symptoms of long COVID at least six months post. And so these are going to be another, uh, you know, group of, of patients that are going to enter uh, the healthcare system. And many of those long COVID patients have respiratory symptoms. So it's a, it's a bad problem. It's certainly going it, to, it certainly is getting worse. And COVID has, um, has pushed that to in, you know, lung and respiratory care in the wrong direction. But if, if there is a positive to take from this, given the focus that is now on the area, is there actually, you know, is there actually a rise in investment in terms of 
uh, in terms of therapeutics for or for respiratory diseases? I think that, that there's we'll, I think we definitely will see the rise in investment. We certainly see the rise in awareness, and that's a really important um, first step. But in a, a rise in investment, I think that what it's made it's one of the things that uh, that COVID has done um, across all disease states, but certainly in respiratory care, is the need to develop and get therapeutics approved with higher quality and with much greater efficiency. And that is, I think, would be would be true across um, many uh, fields of, of therapeutic development, but certainly in the in the area of lung and respiratory disease, which have traditionally again been underinvested and are the longest and most expensive to get to market. Thanks to Susan for her thoughts so far. We'll be back with the podcast after a word from our sponsor. PTC by itself, I mean, uh, is a Boston-based company. Uh, we are uh, leading uh, when it comes to digital threat, uh, digitization, let's say. So uh, probably a lot of people know PTC from ProEngineer in the early days and now, now called Creo. And then PTC has a very broad portfolio now uh, across the, the value chain, thinking from IoT solutions like Thingworks, AR solutions like Buforia, uh, PLM solutions like Windchill and, and now Arena. Uh, and also CAD solutions, as I just mentioned, like Creo, but also a pure SaaS-based CAD solution like like Onshape. So very broad portfolio serving multiple markets, uh, including life science. And that was a brief message from our sponsor, Arena, a PTC company. Now let's get back to today's episode. We've talked about the investment challenges that the uh, that the companies are facing again in the in the pharma space when it comes to uh, respiratory disease and the lung. But there's also the respiratory trials and the difficulty that they are to, they are that they that they have conducting them. I, I apologize for getting my words a little muddled there. But what are what are some of the other challenges that people, uh, companies in this space are up against? You, sorry, I, I missed a little bit of that. Is it specific to respiratory uh, trials? Yes. What are some of the challenges? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I think that across the the in, in clinical um, in clinical trials and uh, clinical research in general, there is um, uh, you have the pain points of finding the appropriate subjects, uh, finding appropriate sites to carry out these trials. Those those two indications certainly um, there are problems in lung and respiratory trials potentially worse than other other trials. I think one of the more unique um, issues with lung and respiratory care is, uh, and lung and respiratory trials is that the the metrics by which you which you measure the outcomes of, of these trials are much more generalized versus uh, versus uh, precise and 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 you know regionally regional. So um, a pulmonary function test is kind of a general indicator of uh you know what what is something's going wrong at the at the at the global level in the lung right uh, but it doesn't show at a regional level what's happening with with great precision so more so in the outcome measures of the lung they're just much more rudimentary in comparison to other disease classes which makes the the number of subjects to be higher the power of the study 
they're longer in development or they're, they're longer and more expensive to run. And, you know, and, and that is um, what's, what's evident in the, the trials themselves is that, you know, many of uh, the respiratory trials, they fail in the last, in the last, um, in the last metric, the last trial. So 58% fail in like a phase three, which is uh, really um, onerous and very difficult uh, for, um, you know, to incent investment in lung and respiratory disease. Uh, so. a, couple, a couple of terms that I've come across, or a couple of words I should say that I've come across when reading a little bit about Vida in advance of this is lung intelligence. Um, can you explain to everybody listening what that actually means? Yeah. So again, lung intelligence is, uh, and it w- is using um, information, data, intelligence solutions to incorporate into uh, lung and respiratory uh, lung and respiratory trials. And we do this in unique ways. Uh, we have validated using a large database of disease-specific evidence that that are run through a massive number of clinical trials, imaging-based biomarkers that are used to precisely measure the the incidence of disease, um, the differential diagnosis of disease, and a therapeutic response. And and these biomarkers have been proven to be able to measure those indications well before a more traditional um, metric that's used for lung and respiratory trials. So I think that's one uh, that's one component of this lung intelligence solution to find disease, to be able to measure disease, to find if uh, if there's a response to a therapeutic much earlier and with much greater precision. But I think that the other incorporations, the other components of this lung intelligence solution, is to incorporate you know efficiencies into to clinical trials. So some of the, there's with these solutions are, you know, the fundamentals of data management, sharing data across the different stakeholders of the trial to be able to do do that and do that with greater ease, quality control, knowing, you know, sort of in a level, you know, immediacy, whether or not um, that, you know, the data acquisition was of high enough quality to be used rather than kind of sending it back and and coming back a couple days later and say it's, it's not the right thing. You have the ability to incorporate and 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 the the underlying technologies to incorporate these kinds of efficiencies into clinical trials, so they can be performed um, with again with greater efficiency and with much greater consistency. And and I think that the third area of a lung intelligence solution is to provide is to use your data to provide unique services. So things like the ability to um, to have a synthetic control arm, and that control arm would be would use existing data to be able to match the you know the the, the treatment arm of that the, the clinical trial. So those data are available rather than bringing in more subjects um, in the decentralization of trials, bringing more subjects into uh, into clinical settings is much more difficult. You have um, the ability to do, do that with synthetic control, or with a retrospective data analyses with data that are already existing to be able to use existing information to be able to guide a trial, to guide 
how you would articulate what your your subjects uh, would uh, would how you would articulate your subjects your subject your subject population um, for a, you know a cohort that's more likely going to uh, going to respond. So that those are you know kind of the different components of that lung intelligence solution that give you know greater quality and much um, greater efficiencies in running clinical trials. We want to make incorporation of of data and information easy for trials mm -hmm. for running clinical trials and not make it you know sort of something that's onerous to use. I think you've covered a lot there in terms of an accessibility point of view in terms of decentralization of trials, etc. There's actually one little bit I want to touch upon. Apologies if I'm going over a bit of old ground here. I'm just trying to make sure that I understand as well as the listeners. Yeah, but sure. In, in terms of, as a result of what um, what lung intelligence is and what, and what it can offer, can you explain how it ends up providing insights that we possibly weren't able to extrapolate before? Well, it, it kind of a, a simple example. If I used a a, a, a traditional um, measure of determining the progression of, of emphysema in a in a in a patient or a trial, if, if I if I use a traditional metric, there's studies that show that that there are um, compounds that were considered to be um, that, that would have failed in their assessment or their ability to be able to um, reduce um, emphysema progression, for example. With the incorporation of uh, imaging endpoints that are with greater precision, it's been found that there certainly is a signal that we can measure uh, uh, the progression or of, of emphysema progression that that were missed with the original with the with the original. Um, sorry, let me try again, if you if you will. Um, using a traditional measure of um, you know emphysema progression and regression in a in a clinical trial for COPD, for example, um, the data show that in many in some cases there will be no response with a traditional like a pulmonary function test. We would, we've gone in um, retrospectively and found with a precision metric that indeed there are patients, there are subclasses of patients that in fact did respond. So a compound that was considered to be, um, to, to, to have failed when it was in fact something that was, uh, had positive outcomes, potentially for the whole cohort or a subclass of that, of that cohort. And that's, I think, is an important incorporation of precision endpoints into um, into re lung respiratory trials. So let's talk about Vita. Uh, oh, sorry, let's talk about Vita specifically. Got me words out that time. Yeah, um, uh, can you tell us about its retrospective data offering? I mean, apologies again if we're going over old ground, but is it? Can you tell us about that and how it benefits drug development today? Yeah. So I think just taking a step back, some, there are some trials that have uh, imaging cohorts that were collected and those, those data could have been read visually, right? For, you know, do you have, does it look like you have emphysema? Do you have, um, uh, was there identification of a lung nodule? 
and and a lot of other analyses would not have been done on that cohort. So it could have been a bit uh, measured visually, or it could have been looking for um, one single metric that was that was done on 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 those cohorts. Well, these are a treasure trove of information that you could go back for that specific trial, for example, and find out new indicators, new biomarkers of response that were not uh, identified earlier because the, the question just wasn't asked, right? And so that's that's one, one um, benefit of retrospective analyses. And we have a, a, a large pharmaceutical partner that had a failed drug, failed, quote, in quotes, failed mm-hmm. drug. Um, with our retrospective analyses, we actually, and it was reported on in a recent American Thoracic Society meeting, uh, that the patients or subset of those patients um, did respond. So the failed drug is now has um, a positive outcome that wasn't um, wasn't found before. And that was all due to asking the question, going in and analyzing those data with greater rigor in a retrospective way and using that cohort um, and, and using those outcome data to define who would be the responders. I think the the other uh, benefit of these retrospective data is, again, some that we already have. We have a, a data set of, of, you know, for example, a natural history of disease, right? And those data that can be used as a the um, synthetic control, right? What? How would a patient that wasn't treated, how would they advance over time? Well, now, instead of bringing those subjects in and having them not get treated, we can do that with with uh, retrospective data and compare that to a treatment arm or, or arm of patients who would get treated. So it, it, it gives us, the, it gives, I think, sponsors greater information, flexibility, certainly gives them greater agility uh, to identify and to be able to, to, um, and to put together their, their their clinical trials. So kind of, there's a lot more information that they can then use to, um, to put their, their, the trial on the, and understand their, their subjects that they want to evaluate beforehand. Okay. I've just got uh, one final issue that I'd like to touch upon and uh, at risk of making this sound like a bit of a job interview um, is what's your predictions for future innovation in this particular space and what might it look like in five years time for example yeah so again i think i want to make sure that i that i combine that lung has generally had much more rudimentary um kinds of information good information i don't want to sort of but so i think that in general in the space far more data far more types of data so imaging is a great um, data source. Incorporation of that information with with genetic EMR data and incorporation of, of that into the design, the execution, the outcome analysis of the disease for faster, efficient, higher quality of information. Uh, I think that that technology uh, will enable a much smoother handshake. Uh, between the many stakeholders of clinical research, uh, you know, ongoing information flow uh, into with uh, with these trials, I think a real 
a, a critical part is the incorporation of real world data and the production of real world evidence. So a, a trial or a drug, you know, is approved on a cohort and the expansion of those use cases into different populations through uh, real world evidence, I think will be critical. Um, and you know, ongoing learning of how these patients and populations are responding so that it's, it's um, much more iterative. I think that the, the, the connection between the, the sponsor and the provider, so the information coming from a provider for uh, this is the, these are the, the, the as sponsor identifies the, the types of, of subjects that they want for their trial and they could they can be found much more easily from a routine clinical workflow and matched uh, to the trial in you know a, a less onerous way so it's it's i want subjects for a copd trial these these are the criteria they come off a of clinical workflow and and that patient could could find an identification of that trial on, on, with themselves certainly their provider as well so the information flow not just would go directly to consumer to, so that they know the trials, the clinical trials that they can, they can be associated with. Um, I, just to, to your first question, I think that um, we'll be treating long COVID patients for a long time. And, and that's, uh, that's sort of a, a specific indication of lung disease uh, that, and we, more pandemics will exist and they'll, they'll be coming. And I think it'll be essential to incorporate the learnings of this pandemic, greater information, greater efficiencies into clinical trials so that we have a much faster response to the next one. You know, I'm not a clinician, but they all tell me the next one is going to come and we need to be prepared for it. And I think that getting uh, lung and respiratory um, therapeutics to the market with much greater uh, efficiencies and with much greater quality, I think is you know sort of an essential platform. We can learn from that. The information is available now. We can always build on it, but that's um, I think this is this is the the public health crisis of lung disease is only getting worse, and we have the tools to be able to help patients help patients now and continually help patients in the future. Well, Susan, thank you very much for your insight. And thank you for joining us again on the Med Talk podcast. Okay, thank you.